this is the first time I've done an episode in, I believe, three weeks, and I am sorry to keep my fellow listeners hanging. Today I'm going to do a slightly different, actually a drastically different type of podcast. Let me say to start out with, I'm not into doing true crime on a regular basis. I like true crime. I watch all those Netflix serial killer documentaries. I've mentioned them, mentioned that here before. I even listen to a few. As far as main-based true crime podcasts are concerned, I highly recommend Dark Down East. Part of the reason why I don't want to take a turn into doing regular true crime episodes is simply because there are just so many out there to choose from and there's no rhyme or reason of what I choose to talk about here lately I've been talking about relationships in dating and I think I'm done talking about that for a while I'll always do music reviews movie reviews Sandy and I are going to do one next week And I'll mention what that is again, because I've mentioned it before, what movie we're going to review later in this episode. But all these podcasts really revolve around me. And as I begin talk about a axe murderer in the town next to where I grew up, well, it deals with stories I heard when I was a kid that scared me. So, it started with this. My sister had a friend that lived in the town of Thorndike, Maine. She lived on this hill, Gordon Hill. I didn't know it was called Gordon Hill at the time. And right next to where this individual grew up, there was an apartment building. And this apartment building was once a farmhouse where, according to my sister, an axe murder took place many many years ago and every time I rode by that house when I was a kid I get the heebie-jeebies I didn't want it to be true I kind of just believed it was some sort of ghost story that people told and anyway so I was told the location of where this happened And I was told that there was an ex-murder that took place there. And I'm like, okay. Then I heard a story. More with this story was the cemetery set up. I knew where the cemetery was growing up, but I never dared to visit the cemetery because of this story. The guy who committed the crime was buried in this cemetery now there's more to the story it's been told that he was the last person to ever be executed in the state of maine why was he the last person to be executed in the state of maine you may ask well the story goes is that they caught the wrong guy They put the wrong guy to death. 
So when he was buried in this cemetery, it has been told that he was buried outside of the cemetery wall. Now, what this wall was, what is it, a stone wall or a fence? I don't know. I'll talk more about that in a minute. When they discovered that he did not do the murder, they rebuilt the wall. So he was now inside the cemetery, fencing wall, what have you. Therefore, the cemetery's boundaries are not perfectly square. Okay. And since they got the wrong guy, they, they ended the execution of individuals in the state of Maine. Ended capital punishment in Maine because they got the wrong guy. And uh, this guy, who, I'm gonna, who I'll give the name of in a few minutes, was the wrong guy. Okay. Okay. So this is what I was. This is what I was told as I uh, was growing up. But I never investigated it because I was afraid. I was scared. I couldn't watch horror movies as a kid and all that other stuff. So yeah, I was just outright afraid. So anyway, this past week I was reading an article on the front page of the Bangor Daily News that dealt with the last public execution in the state of Maine. And this happened pre-Civil War, 1859, I believe. Now, public executions in Maine, probably elsewhere, were quite the event back in the day. You know, five to 10,000 people would show up to these things. And, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, cheer on the death of this guy kind of twisted when you think about it makes you think they probably sold hot dogs roasted peanuts and you know heck maybe they had circus rides too but really uh, kind of twisted when you think about it uh, but anyway they stopped doing that pre-civil war all right so as i'm reading this article it made me think about this thorndike x murder and I'm like, did this take place? I'm like, so just with a quick, quick Google search, I was like, oh, my God, there was indeed an axe murder in Thorndike, Maine in 1873. Now, as it goes, I'm going to tell you the story here shortly. But I did put on Facebook earlier this week. I put on this to all current and former Waldo County folk. I am looking to do a podcast relating to the Gordon Hill murders that took place in 1873 in Thorndike, Maine. If any of you heard stories relating to this topic, I'd love any information you're willing to share. And thank you. So uh, people who I went to school with grew up with uh, in the Thorndike, Maine, um, the high school I went to uh, is in Thorndike. Anyway, uh, my friend uh, Carrie said, love it. And she provided more information later. She provided more than just love it. I, I, I don't think she gets thrills out of axe murders, to tell you the truth. I think she is uh, implying that she loves this topic. Uh, my friend Mickey, who I graduated with and grew up with, 
He said, preacher man did it. I responded, is that what you heard? And he responded, yes. I wasn't there when it happened, but I think that's the story I heard. And then this conversation kept going for a little while. He said, they hung the wrong dude. That's why the cemetery on the Leonard Road is not square trying to take in unmarked grave. Okay. Now, basically what he's saying here is what I said before, that the cemetery is not square because they buried him originally outside the gate. And he's also claiming that it's in an unmarked grave. Come to find out, the grave is indeed marked, and I'll talk about that uh, later. I keep on saying that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. I'll talk about that later, okay. I guess that's the new buzz saying for this episode. I get caught on these sayings, and I just go with them. Okay, and I just informed Mickey that I heard this uh, cemetery story as well, but it did appear that his grave was marked uh, because I found a YouTube video of uh, the picture of the guy's, the murderer's grave. Uh, And Tita, who was a very good friend of my sister, Trish, uh, who is now, Trish is now deceased. Uh, She died, oh, three, has it been three or four years? Jeez, has it been, I think it's, wow. No, it's been four years. Well, I can't believe it's been that long. But anyway, uh, they were good friends growing up, and uh, Tita grew up in uh, Thorndike. And she said, I believe the grave is in the far right corner. I've seen it, but it's been a while since I've been there. Very interesting growing up right across the road. Okay. Um, And then I asked about the location of the house, And she has verified that that is indeed the house. And I have other other people in the community that have stated the same thing. So it appears that the apartment building, the now apartment building on top of Gordon Hill, it was the house that this happened uh, in. There, There are all over the place, and if you live in Waldo County, you'll know this. In 1859, uh, some publishing company put out th- these this enormously huge Waldo County map, and there were plenty of them that were were put out because I've seen personal copies of the original map in people's homes. My uncle, my deceased uncle, has one hanging in his home. Uh, the neighbors, I say neighbors, people that live a mile down the road from me in Waldo, they have this. Heck, I was going into Zumba class in the Monroe Town Hall today, and I saw one. 1859, they put out this glorious map of Waldo County. And today, you can buy the town maps based off that map. Somebody was able to zoom in and actually make poster size Uh, copies of the towns from that 1859 Waldo County map. Now, I looked at the Thorndike one, and it appears in 1859 the Gordons did not have a presence in Thorndike yet. Now, Just because they're not on the map, I suppose, doesn't mean they weren't there, but I don't believe they had moved there yet, okay? 
Fast forward to 1873 when these murders took place. Obviously, they were living there then. I cannot find a good map of Thorndike during that time. I can at the beginning of the 20th century, but not in 1873. But from the locals, from Tita and all the other locals, it appears that that indeed was the building that the murders took place. Okay. Carrie said, uh, John True Gordon, who is the murderer, the accused murderer, is buried facing away from the rest in the corner. His alleged victims are buried on the other side. After Gordon's death, there was a confession made by someone else. I can send you the papers I have if you'd like. Not sure if you already have them where I said thank you. Um, I'll reach out if I need them. The information you just provided is very helpful. Okay. So, that's kind of the stories that circulate around the community. Okay. So, the location has been pretty much 100% verified. So, that part of what I heard in my childhood is true. Okay. Now to the cemetery itself. Okay. I went there yesterday with a very dear friend of mine. And as we're looking, we're able to find John T. Gordon, the accused murderer's grave right away. It is indeed in the far right-hand corner, and it's away from everybody else. And it's clearly outside of uh, the square of where the other graves are. Now, I believe that the cemetery boundaries were already written and established when John T. Gordon was buried, and they purposely just buried him in that corner. There's not a stone wall in the cemetery anywhere. The tree line is pretty much all these huge oak trees. Okay, so this murder happened 150 years ago. Maybe one or two of those oak trees were around then, but my guess is probably the cemetery was pretty open and there was fencing, just regular fencing that went around it. So it's hard to say if what I don't believe that they redrew the boundary because he was wrongfully executed. And I'll elaborate on that a little bit later. Okay. Number three, his execution led to the, uh, this is the third claim that I heard growing up. His execution led to the abolition of the death penalty in Maine due to the fact they got the wrong guy. They caught the wrong guy. Part of this is true, okay? Part of it, of kind of a small part of it. All right. So this is how the story goes. There are so many resources on this axe murder, okay? You can find primary sources. You can find the local paper back then is the same title as it is now, the Republican Journal. You can find 
a digital copy of the front page of the Republican Journal from 1875 reporting on this trial. And it goes into a huge amount of detail. I did not read much of the coverage in the Republican Journal for a couple reasons. It's a lot. And two, it's really what you can find online. It's just hard to read. Um, You're better off going to the library, finding the microfiche and looking at it that way if you're interested. Luckily, thanks to this another podcast called Mavens of Misdeeds, I they did some work for me without knowing it. So in researching this, I discovered that somebody already beat me to doing a podcast about this axe murder, and it's two women from uh, the South. I can't remember where in the South. I, in, I don't, I'm not sure. They mentioned that they're from the South, and you can hear their accents. But one thing, I really appreciate their love of Maine. Uh, one of them has even visited Belfast. And just a real true appreciation for Maine. And they did the research. They read the Republican Journal. They read the Portland Press Herald. They read all of it. And they told the story of what happened in detail. So I've cited their uh, podcast. It's worth listening to. I'm going to give some details of the murder. They go into deep detail. They get a couple things wrong, but that's okay because I know I'm not getting everything right here (laughs) as well um one thing they called on people for belfast uh what is the jail like in belfast maine well i believe the jail that is that we know of in belfast maine was not the jail that was around 1873 i believe this jail which is now the re-entry facility was built uh, 20 years after that um So anyway, I'll tell you a little bit of the story and how this murder took place because I I know you're just waiting for it. So here we go. Okay. John True Gordon was convicted of one of Maine's most heinous crimes, the axe murder of his brother, Allman, his brother's wife, Emma, and their infant daughter, Millie. Gordon did deny any knowledge of the crime, and supposedly maintained his innocence through the two trials. Basically, he pled innocent. But from what I have read, he wasn't really emphatic that he was innocent. He was spotty at times with this. Uh, but, yeah, he, it wasn't like he went to the gallows claiming his innocence every step of the way. And... Um, w- the motive was basically this. John T. Gordon had a fiancé at the time, and his brother's wife, who ended up dying in this m- murder, uh, wrote letters to the fiancé basically saying that John was kind of a dank, basically. You don't want to get involved with him because he's an a-hole. You know, he goes around town stealing from stores, not a nice guy, drinks too much, that kind of thing. Uh, So this is before texting and uh, the face thing and all that other stuff. So they actually had to write letters. Uh, So so that was going on, and that actually came out in trial. Now, the fiancé said that 
these letters didn't sway her one way or another. She did end up leaving John before the murders took place, but she said these letters didn't really factor in because she kind of already figured out uh, John was kind of a dink anyway. So, but the real motive was that basically the father realized that who John, who was the oldest, uh, I think, I can't remember how many siblings were in the family. There were more than just John and his brother, who, he, who uh, John was accused of killing. Uh, but John was the oldest, and he was older than Almond by three years. That I did find out. Now, anyway, the father ended up uh, changing the will around to give the homestead to Almond, and John found out about it. So that alone is enough for a motive of murdering uh, the family, basically. So basically, in this big house, uh, John slept there. Almond slept there. His wife slept there. The baby slept there. And there were two other kids in the house as well. So there was John. I don't know if I mentioned uh, just now. John, a farmhand by the name of Eldon Ward. Almond, his wife, and the three kids. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So basically, Eldon, the farmhand, was awakened by child screams around 3 o'clock in the morning of June 17, 1873. He slept in an upstairs room in the farmhouse of Almond Gordon and family in Thorndike, Maine, where he worked as a hired hand. Ward immediately smelled smoke. The house was in flames. He ran downstairs to the Gordons' bedroom and found the bed and the floor covered with blood. Almond Gordon, his wife Emma, and their 17-month-old daughter Millie were lying dead with their skulls crushed. Their five-year-old Ira, who slept in the same room, appeared to be dead as well, ran, ran out of the house to alert the neighbors. Come to find out the five-year-old son was not dead. Okay, so maybe there was just one other... Uh, I thought there were two other children, but there's only one mentioned here. Again, I read a lot of resources on this, so this is the one that has the quickest synopsis. And I did notice with this one, they didn't get everything incredibly uh, right down to the point uh, in facts, if you will. The Gordon's neighbors were able to extinguish the fire before it did too much damage to the house. When the smoke cleared, they went inside and found the partially charred bodies of Almond, Emma, and Millie. They had been attacked with an axe. Their heads had been split open. Ira had been injured as well, but was still living. The room was awash with blood mixed with the water that extinguished the fire. And I guess... Um, I have read some parts of history books that just say, yeah, it was just a gross, disgusting scene. Just blood everywhere, blood mixed with water, the water that uh, was used to extinguish the fire. Just a, just, just a mess. Okay, here we go to the other siblings. Okay, two others sleeping in the house managed to escape unharmed. Anna Gordon, seven-year-old niece of all, okay, seven-year-old niece of Almond Gordon and Almond's brother, John True Gordon. Okay, so the other child in there was the niece of Almond Gordon and apparently not John's daughter. So, anyway, uh, there's that. 
Now, Eldon Ward said that John had tried to prevent him from notifying the neighbors. And while the neighbors were fighting fire, John was more concerned with saving the furniture than putting out the fire. Well, okay. Is that... Well, maybe he saw... But there again, maybe he saw that other people were putting out the fire and he wanted to save the furniture, knowing that furniture was expensive or something. I mean, there is that. There is that. But his strange behavior and the fact that he had blood on his clothing made John the prime suspect. And not only that, I guess while he was in between taking the furniture out, he was washing his hands too, which appeared to have blood on them uh, as well. The coroner's jury was uh, hastily called, and they ruled that there was sufficient evidence to hold John True Gordon for murder. As morning broke in Thorndike, Maine, news of the murder spread through town, and the authorities feared for John Gordon's safety as they took him to jail in Belfast. Okay, so he initially went to jail in Belfast. After he was tried, he ended up going to Thomaston, where the execution took place as well. And Thomaston was the site of the main state prison right up until whatever, I mean, not 20 years ago or so. Okay. And then it talks about, I'm reading this, this is Murder by Gaslight, and you can read all this because I shared the link. Um, so at the inquest, another motive came out. John Gordon's fiance Julia Edwards, received several anonymous letters which disparaged John's character. Um, and come to find out, John uh, was determined to find the source of the letters and take revenge. And he took them to a clairvoyant in Bangor named Mrs. Tower, and she confirmed his suspicion that these had been written by his sister-in-law, Emma. It does make me wonder if the train went to Bangor from Thorndike those days or if people uh, took their horse and buggy there. Uh, come to find out, John and Almond's parents were in... Bangor that night that the murders took place. The Saturday evening before the murders, John True was heard to say that he would get even with her, and he was quoted as saying, I know one thing, Almond's life or mine is damn short in this world. Okay, so. Now, the evidence against Mr. John T. Gordon is circumstantial. But you got to think about the time period. They're not going to get fingerprints off the murder weapon. There are no eyewitnesses. Okay. Uh, DNA wasn't a thing. So, uh, and security cameras, obviously, uh, none of those around. Now, so basically, short of like eyewitness testimony, everything's going to be circumstantial in these days. Right. But the finger is kind of point to him and he wasn't known as a great guy i mentioned this he wasn't known as a great guy around town he was kind of a dank now just because you're kind of a dank doesn't mean you're an axe murderer i have known several danks in my lifetime and i can say for sure that not one of them was an axe murderer okay so the trial november 11th 1873 John True Gordon was tried for the murder of Emma Gordon. Okay, so 
basically, I've been told there was two trials, but really, uh, so basically, the first trial was for the <coughs> murder of his sister-in-law, Emma. Now, I have heard mention of a second trial for the other two. However, that one, there's not much to, uh, there's not much to find. I mean, basically, this one, he was convicted to death after this murder, and there's a, a ton a ton of coverage of this. Um, and it, it, it's, I mean, witnesses, I mean, testimony, blah, 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 all this other stuff. I mean, the access that reporters had in those days would make any reporter today jealous. Uh, reporters were allowed, now this is after the public executions ended in Maine, but reporters could see the executions happen. I mean, as long as you're a reporter, you could see it happen which I'll talk about in a few minutes. All right. So anyway, the first trial, John was tried for the murder of Emma Gordon. Presumably, if he managed to escape conviction, he could get tried for two murders. And that's probably why they had it set up that way. So, yeah, you know, if you get out of this one, well, gosh darn you, we're going to get you for the second one. The case against him was extremely circumstantial, as I mentioned, but very strong with more than 50 witnesses scheduled to testify. On the first day of the trial, the prosecutor opening statement lasted two hours. Yawn. <laughs> two hours of an opening statement, really? Then the jury was taken to the Gordon homestead to the scene of the crime. No kidding. Wow, so they took all those jurors from Belfast... And they took him to the farm in Thorndike. No kidding. Okay. Gordon's defense was weak. His mother, uh, Lucilia Gordon, testified that the brothers lived together in friendship and that John had no displeasure when the farm was uh, conveyed to Almond. John testified in his own defense, but in his rambling testimony, he did not once directly deny his own guilt. The attorney general made the closing argument. That's interesting. The attorney general of the state made the closing argument. And guess how long the closing argument was? Six hours. I mean, really? Six hours of a closing testimony? Oh, my goodness. I mean, can't you wrap that up in like 20 minutes? You know, he did it. You heard the evidence. I took you to the house. We took you to the house. He did it. Then the judge gave the jury instructions that were strongly against the prisoner. So the judge uh, wasn't exactly an objective person in this by that statement. And the jury deliberated for an hour and a half before returning a guilty verdict. So you think about that. Uh, hours and hours of testimony, two hours of an opening statement just by the prosecutor, six hours of the attorney general tooting his own horn, and it only takes an hour and a half for the jury to come back and say, guilty. You know, it's like, wow. Okay. So then now there's something that this person says that is not true from what I can see. And is it here that I see it? Maybe it wasn't this one. One of these articles I read said that 
after Gordon was executed, an anonymous letter showed up with another person claiming guilt for the murders. So to this day, no one knows who did the murders. Okay, that's that's BS, okay? Because from everything that I have heard and read, the anonymous letter showed up while Gordon was still alive. Okay? And then another letter showed up from a friend of his saying that he was passing through town or something that looked like similar handwriting. So this was actually presented to the judge, this anonymous letter, and it was generally believed, it was easily dismissed because it was generally believed that Gordon uh, arranged for someone to write that letter. So that one doesn't hold up. I have read nothing from direct sources that said an anonymous letter showed up after he died claiming whoever writing this letter uh, claiming that uh, they got the wrong guy i did it it just it just didn't happen and even if it did it's just like stuff like this happens all the time i mean there's probably people out there now that richard ramirez has died you know claiming that they were the night stalker it wasn't him it was me i mean come on i mean there's probably people claiming that ted bundy didn't kill all those women that hey it was me it was really me you know no people are out for attention i'm sure people were out for attention in the 19th century as well i mean heck this is before people could send nudie pics of themselves so they probably you know i can only imagine what they did for exhibitionism back then now i don't know how i got on that topic but i apologize my point is people will do weird things for attention anyway okay so um going back so i talked about the location i've confirmed the location of the murders uh yes i know where they took place the stories i heard growing up they're true it took it took place there okay cemetery the grave is not unmarked it is indeed marked okay i he was buried away from everybody else uh facing away from everyone yeah but there again all the gravestones are facing away from each other so uh, but it is clear that he was buried far away from everyone else. Now, this. Uh, Carrie made the claim. I'm going to go back to what she said. Uh, because she said, John True Gordon is buried facing away from the rest in the corner. Okay. That part's true. His alleged victims are buried on the other side. Okay. Now. That one I am going to disagree with because of this. When I went there yesterday, we found the murder. We found John T. Gordon's grave. What we didn't find were the graves of the victims. And it bugged the living you-know-what out of me. I mean, we walked around probably three or four times and nothing, nothing. It bugged me to the point that I drove back out there again today. Granted, I was on the way to see my dad and sister in the cemeteries, not that far off, uh, out of the way. So I went in again, and I took a picture of a piece of granite that 
it had two obviously had two tombstones in it that are no longer there and maybe maybe cuz they were up front in the cemetery and they're facing the road so i don't know what is really really kind of creepy is and i noticed it yesterday but i verified it today the house the building where the murders took place it's about a mile away from the cemetery and you can see that building clear as day from the cemetery. It's like when you first get out of your vehicle and you look up to the hill, you can see the building. It's just like, oh my God, that is so creepy. It's just like, it's in your face. It's like everything is right there. Okay, so I went back and there is a video where somebody went ghost hunting, if you will, for these graves. So the video starts out uh, with the picture of the oak tree in John T. Gordon's grave. I was able to find John's grave because it was just described so well by Carrie. And this video, you can see this old oak tree in front of it. And you can make it out easily. Now, what bothered me was in this same YouTube video, there is picture of a tombstone that has almond emma and millie the three people that were the victims in this crime and so their grave this grave does exist and i'm like well how come i couldn't find it now then i looked at the video closer and it's not the same cemetery this, the family is not buried in the same cemetery, which bugs me because I don't know. It's got to be a Thorndike Cemetery, so I'm going to do some driving around till I find this grave. And once I do, I'll let it be known on social media that I found it and probably take a picture of it or whatever. So anyway, John T. Gordon is buried in a separate cemetery from... Uh, the victims. All right. And it does say there is, I couldn't quite read it yesterday. There's not much on John's grave other than his name when he died. And then there is an engraving. Yesterday I thought it was in Latin. I mean, this grave is nearly 150 years old, so it has worn. But then it was different lighting today, so I was able to see uh, what the writing actually says. And it's part of a memory verse from Matthew uh, 11.28. And basically, well, not basically, this is what it says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's what it says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Okay. Now, the story of the execution. Okay. The story of the ex execution is this. The night before the execution, two people, two men visited John T. Gordon and gave him a knife. Okay, so 
John Gordon was scheduled to be executed on the same day as the Smutty Nose murderer. Now, that's another story you should look up. Uh, the Smutty Nose is an island uh, from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, but is in Maine jurisdiction. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, the guy who did the Smutty Nose m- murders, uh, he claimed that he was innocent until the very end. But the thing is, he was about the only person on the island that was still alive and was caught escaping to, uh, to like Boston. And he was also known as kind of a dink. So I don't know who else could have uh, done it. I mean, if there's four people on an Island, three of them are dead and you're the only one living. And, uh, I mean, what does that look like? Uh, you probably did it. You probably, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that story other than that. They were executed on the same day. So anyway, uh, the Smutty Nose murderer, he was claiming his innocence right up until the end. And anyway, the warden was talking to a newspaper reporter about the Smutty Nose murderer. And when I believe it was his son, the warden's son came up and the warden's son, who also worked at the prison, came up to him and said, uh, sir, uh, dad, uh, dad, we got a problem. And the problem was this. They went to John Gordon's grave. They discovered that John Gordon, John True Gordon, stabbed himself with the knife that one of the two gentlemen brought in the night before. Stabbed himself, uh, tried to stab himself in the heart, missed, but didn't miss by much. And basically, he was dying. Um, And the warden, everyone's like, well, we can't have that. We got to have this guy executed. Uh, You know, it's just like, so, I mean, he was bleeding to the point that he was unconscious when he was found, um, and they stood him up the best they could. I mean, really near death, blood all over the place, and they propped him up, and yeah, they hung him. They, They hung him. And, you know, it was a gruesome, gruesome sight. It was so bad that in the Portland Press-Herald, there's an opinion piece basically saying how, you know, yeah, you know, these two men were complete, total danks. But what we just saw was so gruesome that, you know, we should never, this type of thing just should never happen again. I was really kind of surprised that there were so many abolitionists for the uh, death penalty back uh, during this time but they were there were many but the reporter for the portland press herald uh, who witnessed this execution he wrote these are his words those who saw the miserable wretch gordon upon that trap will always remember it the ghastly face with bright sun showing up it's hideous the deep groan the hideousness the deep groans, the bloody limp form held up by the officers. Basically, yeah, he was so limp that he had to be held up while they were putting the noose around his neck. This made up a picture of such utter horror and despair as is rarely seen even in the fiercest conflicts of war. And anyway, uh, yeah, so... He was hung, I guess they said his neck didn't break right away, which is pretty much an instant killing. I guess that back then they, your heart stopped beating uh, within 10 minutes after uh, your neck snapped. I guess in this case, 
Gordon died seven minutes after, even though his neck didn't snap. And uh, the other guy, this money nose guy, he died eight minutes after. Okay. But anyway, this execution was so gruesome that the legislature voted the next year to do away with capital punishment in Maine. So it is true that his execution did lead to the abolition of the death penalty in Maine, but it wasn't because they got the wrong guy. Nobody believed back then, nobody that I can see believed back then that there was another person that committed these murders. They all believed that he did it. But the execution was so gruesome that it did end the death penalty in Maine. Now, years later, the death penalty was reinstated by the Maine legislature. And there was one more man, and that happened in 1883. It was reestablished, so it ended in 1876, but then the death penalty was reestablished in 1883. There was one more man executed in the state of Maine after John True Gordon and the Smutty Nose Killer. His name was Daniel Wilkinson, and he was tried and convicted of killing a police officer in Bath. He was executed by hanging in 1886. Now... That execution was also gruesome because his neck didn't snap. And basically, he just hung there, kicking his feet, gagging for air, strangled uh, for many, 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 many minutes after the floor dropped from underneath him. So at that point, the Maine legislature immediately went back in 1887 and said, no more. So we haven't had the death penalty in Maine since 1887. And there really hasn't been a strong movement to get it back. The last time the Maine legislature uh, even voted for it or considered it was in 1979. And there isn't even really talk about it anymore because we're humane and very, you know, compassionate people here in the state of Maine. Now, I know many of you listeners out there will disagree with me, but I am glad I live in a state that hasn't put a man to death since 1887. So John True Gordon was the second to last man uh, put to death in Maine, and it wasn't because they got the wrong guy. Um, And it looks like, I don't think the fence, in fact, there's really nothing that you can look at in any type of way when you go to the cemetery that would tell you that the borders of that cemetery were ever redrawn. It just looks like he was purposely buried away from other people. And again, is he facing away from all the other tombstones? Yeah, but all the tombstones are facing away in that cemetery. And as in a lot of cemeteries, they all face the same direction. And, They're not, and the other family is not buried in the other corner because it appears that they're buried in another cemetery. I haven't proven that 
beyond a reasonable doubt yet, but I will because I'm going to find out where that where they are buried, where that cemetery is. Okay. Well, and I will end it there. So that's a little piece of kind of some local folklore uh, that I grew up with that uh, now I know more about and now you know more about. If you have anything to share about this, feel free to contact me. Um, and I am going to do more of these, uh, more of these kind of local stories I heard. And uh, if you can think of any, uh, Waldo County-based, I mean, maybe there was something similar that happened in the town of Freedom, Monroe, heck, Brooks, Canucks, I don't know. Uh, Let me know. Yeah, tell me, and I'll investigate it. Heck, if you want to be interviewed for this, I'll even do that. But until next time, I do love you all. Thanks for listening. Keep in touch, and be well. Take care.